Now more than ever, our customers are relying on a clean, resilient grid. Uh, as always, our customers are the focus of everything we do, and that will continue to be the case. The path forward for us is very clear. It's clean. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. Each February, executives from the Edison Electric Institute brief Wall Street analysts, bankers, investors, and other industry stakeholders in New York City on the state of the U.S. electric power industry. This year, for the first time, the executives delivered the remarks from NASDAQ's market site. Typically, this presentation is in person only, but this year, the event was live streamed and recorded. You can watch the full presentation on EEI's website or on our YouTube channel, EEI TV. Brian Wolf, EEI's Chief Strategy Officer and Executive Vice President of Public Policy and External Affairs, started the presentation with an overview of what challenges are facing the electric power industry. I want to talk a little bit about uh, how proud we are as an industry. When we think about the 140 years that we've provided energy to our customers and communities while powering our economy, it's no small feat, right? Um, but we also have to think about how 2022 is different. I, I think we all would agree the COVID-19 pandemic, the effects of that had so much impact on our families, on our communities. Uh, the nation currently faces headwinds from rising inflation and interest rates. And on top of that, around the world, we're seeing a lot of the geopolitical forces and tensions, extreme weather events, and other natural disasters. So those those challenges that we have there are met with opportunities that we're ready to provide. And we, under this backdrop, I think of EEI and I think of what truly means energy empowering uh, our customers' everyday lives. And also, now more than ever, our customers are relying on a clean, resilient grid. Uh, as always, our customers are the focus of everything we do, and that will continue to be the case. The path forward for us is very clear. It's clean. Brian emphasized that carbon emission levels are nearly 40% below 2005 levels, and 40% of our nation's electricity comes from clean energy sources such as wind, solar, hydropower, and nuclear. I, I want to be able to talk about our commitment to clean because that's something that we're most proud of. If I think back to maybe just a short decade ago where we were actually viewed as the problem, you know, with regards to climate, with regards to clean energy. And one decade later, we are the solution. And I think that's an accomplishment with the zero carbon commitments that are, a lot of our companies have made and long-term carbon reduction uh, targets and commitments that they've made. I think that's truly changed the perception of being a solution uh, to our customers and to our communities that we serve. As we kind of move closely through this current administration, working with them, working in Congress, we kind of have three policy objectives in mind at all times. That is how we expand the deployment of renewables, 
the promoting, I, I say this because it's promoting, and Emily's going to talk about this, carbon-free technologies and the future of those technologies. Emily's going to outline what that really means for us, but also what is the energy infrastructure that we're going to need to be able to deploy that amount of clean energy you know, around the country. So that's what we're focused on. Um, I'll tell you, in our rearview mirror, uh, we're happy to see that was the infrastructure legislation that Congress passed. EEI was central to that bill becoming written into law. And when you look at $1.2 trillion uh, you know, build that that was for, you know, roads and bridges and grid infrastructure and broadband and electric transportation, cybersecurity and resilience. When you look at all of those areas for our industry alone is over $100 billion. You know, that is something that we're working very closely with the Department of Energy on implementing uh, this historic law. This has been the largest, this bill will actually be the largest wholesale change uh, at the Department of Energy since its inception. It will require over a thousand professional staff members at the department working with industry and partnering with us to be able to shape over 60 programs in all these different areas that I just named. So stay tuned for more of that, but you'll hear us talk about as we go forward what it means for clean energy but what it means for partnerships as well it's not just about our companies it's about the communities we serve state and local governments other stakeholders with, with regard to electric vehicles and electric transportation it's about partner with electric charging companies as well so we're all in this together and that's really more important uh, than anything next brian discussed electric transportation as eei has said before the biggest barrier to EV adoption is not a lack of EVs, it is lack of access to charging infrastructure that is convenient, affordable, equitable, and reliable. There already are more than 2 million EVs on US roads, and it is projected to increase to 22 million EVs by 2030. EEI's member companies are investing more than $3.4 billion in customer programs and projects to deploy charging infrastructure and to accelerate electric transportation. Brian also mentioned EEI's National Electric Highway Coalition, or NEHC, which is a collaboration among electric companies that are committed to providing EV fast charging stations that will allow the public to drive EVs with confidence along major US travel corridors by the end of 2023. You can hear more about the NEHC in episode 26 if you missed it. I wanna commend Department of Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm and also Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg um, on the 7.5 billion that they're joining together to create a joint office of energy and transportation, knowing that the collision of our industry and the Department of Transportation is so important. Brian mentioned that while they were giving this presentation in New York, EEI President Tom Kuhn and a delegation of EEI member company CEOs were meeting with President Joe Biden, Secretary Granholm, National Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy, and National Economic Council Director Brian Deese to discuss our industry's resilient clean energy journey and how the proposed clean energy tax credits can help maintain affordability for our customers as we work to accelerate the deployment of resilient clean energy. And that's about the balancing of what we call the impact of a clean energy journey and that transition. And we've got to be ready for that. And we've got to be mindful of it's our customers that pay for that. So anything that's going to ease the burden on our customers, we're going to be up on the hill right now until the bill's passed, until we get the job done. Brian also outlined EEI's legislative priorities for the year. 
We support optionality in choosing between the production tax credit or PTC and investment tax credit for solar, alternatives to normalization for regulated electric companies, 100% direct pay for the clean energy credits, a nuclear PTC for existing facilities, new tax credits for transmission, including new tax credits for energy storage and hydrogen to move carbon-free technologies, and the expansion of EV tax credits. So I say together with all of this, it only supports our customers, but when I look at all of these tax uh, incentives by themselves, guess what? It also means union work and union jobs. The next speaker was Emily Fisher, EEI's General Counsel, Corporate Secretary, and Senior Vice President of Clean Energy. Almost 50 EEI member electric companies have commitments to reduce emissions to zero or net zero with significant reductions in this decade and more planned for the next. And we know that in order to be able to accomplish those goals, we are going to, as Brian said, in this decade, continue to deploy renewables. We are going to deploy renewables. Um, it was a banner year in 2020 and another one in 2021. But we know that to get all the way to zero, that we need to invest now in the research development demonstration and deployment of critical carbon-free 24-7 technologies. Last year, EEI and its member companies partnered with environmental and technology organizations to launch the Carbon-Free Technology Initiative, or CFTI, which aims to achieve net zero emissions in the U.S. electric sector by promoting policies to ensure the commercial availability of new 24-7 carbon-free technologies. You can learn more about CFTI in episode five. It is essential to have these technologies ready at scale and at cost so that we can make good on our commitment, as Brian said, to provide both reliable and affordable electricity. This group has identified some key technologies and we are working together to look at how to make sure that we have them available when we need them. These are advanced dispatchable renewables, including advanced wind and solar technologies and advanced power electronics that will allow us to better integrate these into the grid. Zero carbon fuels such as hydrogen and ammonia that could be produced from a variety of sources. Uh, As Brian mentioned, nuclear is incredibly important to our industry and to maintaining our zero emissions goals. And we are also focused on advanced nuclear technologies. Carbon capture utilization and storage, particularly for our natural gas generation and advanced demand efficiency and long duration storage. So together, we have put together very detailed policy proposals. I encourage you to go look at the CFTI uh, website that will lay these out. And we've already seen some successes in this place. Several of our policy proposals focused on research and development and funding were included in the infrastructure bill and the Energy Act of 2020 that passed at the end of that year. That was really focused on storage. And we really applaud the work that the Department of Energy is doing today to move forward on a range of these technologies. And we look forward to partnering with them through our uh, application for some of the grant programs under the uh, IIJA and to continuing our work with EPRI, which has a low carbon resources initiative where our members are deploying demonstration projects today, both in the United States and abroad. Emily also discussed some environmental regulations and environmental justice considerations that are important to our clean energy transformation. Finally, I wanna talk a little bit about something that Brian mentioned. Brian Wolf, that is. And that is making sure that our clean energy transition brings along all of our customers and all of our workers. Um, This administration has a focus on environmental justice and we do too. We want to be able to work with the communities where we live and work because we are of our communities. Um, We make investments and we work in those communities and we are not leaving. We wanna work with our communities to find ways to ensure that the energy transition works for all of us. 
And we want to make sure that we provide access to jobs in our industry, which can be life changing uh, because we have wonderful pay and wonderful benefits and we're lovely people um, and lots of union workers. Um, but we want to make sure that those jobs are available to diverse swath of employees and that our, our workforce mirrors the workforce of the people that we serve. Um, and so we have a lot to offer in this space and we want to work with stakeholders to identify their needs and to ensure that they are part of our conversation and our discussions as we look toward deploying more clean energy. Emily also discussed a case currently before the U.S. Supreme Court that really has not been getting the public attention that it deserves, considering just how disruptive a negative decision could be to the industry's clean energy transformation. At the end of the year, the Supreme Court took a case in which it will assess EPA's ability to continue to use the Clean Air Act to regulate greenhouse gas emissions. Um, it is possible, in fact, I think it might be probable that by the end of June, we will have a rule that potentially limits EPA's ability to use the Clean Air Act. We think that that structure has the potential to provide us a regulatory framework that supports future investments in clean energy. And it would be preferable to a regime in which a lot of our emissions are addressed via torts and other litigation, tort suits and other litigation. And so for that reason, we filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court at the end of January, supporting EPA's general authority to use the act. Obviously, we would scrutinize any actual proposal, but we think it's important to have that kind of universally applicable framework and not to do greenhouse gas regulation in a one-off litigation context. Phil Moeller, EEI's Executive Vice President of the Business Operations Group and Regulatory Affairs, was next up discussing the industry's focus on transmission and enhancing energy grid resilience to maintain reliable service for customers. The challenge is that it is still extremely difficult to get electric transmission built. The good news, though, is that in Washington, this is a topic of a lot of discussion. Even the President of the United States is talking about the need for electric transmission, and it was reflected in the infrastructure bill as well. A lot of people are talking in D.C about this need for expanding the transmission grid to enable the clean energy transition. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission has a joint task force with 10 state regulators from around the country. They'll be meeting again next week with a focus on moving forward. So that is the good news. On the distribution side, we're now up to 115 million smart meters that have been deployed and it consists of 80% of U.S. households. That's important for a number of reasons, obviously two-way communication flow, but those smart meters will allow the adaptation of, of types of technologies and customer-focused uh, ideas, that some of which probably haven't even been invented yet, but can empower our customers to use energy wisely in ways that they appreciate. And finally, energy efficiency is something that continues to move on. Last year, in 2021, it's been estimated that our member company investments in energy efficiency resulted in enough savings to power 30 million American homes. That will continue. Phil discussed the key regulatory policies that EEI supports, which include reforms in transmission planning, cost allocation, permitting, siting, and generator interconnection, finalization of a nationwide permit for distribution and transmission grid construction activities under the Clean Water Act, removal of regulatory and legislative barriers limiting member companies' ability to own or fully participate in the implementation of energy storage assets and other distributed energy resources, and policies and programs that enable responsible data security, sharing, and confidentiality. Phil also discussed the work that EEI's member companies do to prepare for and respond to natural disasters. 
It was an extreme uh, weather year. It's easy to forget how many types of, uh, of natural uh, events and natural disasters impacted the entire country of all different types. And, and specifically, uh, the, the role that we have as EEI is to focus on mutual assistance, recovery and restoration when our member companies get hit. Just one example is that Hurricane Ida became the second most powerful storm to hit Louisiana. It destroyed more than 30,000 power poles, 36,000 spans of wire, 6,000 transformers, and it destroyed more of this equipment than several other hurricanes that were involved. But in response, we had an army of 27,000 workers from our member companies who were mobilized and helped restore power in that particular uh, example. And that's one of many where our mutual assistance effort has worked to assure that our customers are, uh, are allowed to have power restored safely and as quickly as possible. That mutual assistance effort continues, and it's one of the hallmarks of our, our industry looking out for each other, for our member, for member companies, and ultimately our customers. Moving on to wildfires, it was an extremely tough year for wildfires in the West. In fact, it's been for several years now. And at EEI, we have worked with the Electric Subsector Coordinating Council with a specific wildfire working group so that we can address this threat in a variety of manners. Now, obviously, it, it, making sure that the various stakeholders are communicating is important, and so is accountability. The allocation of resources is noted as important because there are so many groups involved. Of course, our member companies in forested areas, various federal agencies such as the U.S. Forest Service, uh, the Bureau of Land Management. Then we have state fire officials, local officials, all have to work together to make sure that the variety of public policy issues, whether it's funding of certain programs or zoning to pre prevent the more people moving into wildfire areas that who are in danger, all kinds of a multi-level effort are, are being employed by EEI to make sure that we are addressing this with our government partners at the ESCC, including the FAA using drones. Know that we are on this set of issues and they are crucial for everywhere, but particularly in the West where wildfires have hit. Phil also discussed how industry and government continue to partner on grid security issues. ESCC is a vital private-public partnership with the highest members of the federal government that are related to these areas with a big focus, not a sole, but a big focus on the threats of cybersecurity. We have a cyber mutual assistance program that EEI stood up a few years ago, somewhat based on storm response of sharing people and equipment when needed. We have a variety of tabletop and exercises where we are anticipating major events. Obviously, part of the risks that are involved are the supply chain that we've talked about. But nevertheless, the ESCC is watching it and making sure that we have the vital components and equipment in our industry to make sure that when power needs to be restored, it can. Finally, EEI Senior Vice President of Energy Supply and Finance, Richard McMahon, provided a financial overview. He explained that EEI's member companies are increasingly investing in grid adaptation, hardening, and resilience, or AHR, to make the energy grid stronger and more secure against physical and cyber threats. Talking a little bit about uh, adaptation, hardening, and resilience, increasingly EEI's member companies are investing in AHR, as we call it, 
These initiatives make the grid stronger, more secure, and for all customers. A AHR is more than just the ability to adapt and recover from storms. AHR also addresses wildfires, cyber, and physical risks. In October 2021, EEI published an analysis of AHR CapEx, and interestingly, what it, what it showed was that more than one-third of our CapEx for T&D is actually being driven specifically by AHR. That is a really significant development. I would say this, EEI's most recent risk management survey showed that AHR risks are five of the top 10 risks identified by our enterprise risk managers. So it's definitely an important and emerging topic. Richard also provided an update on EEI's efforts to refine environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, reporting. Let me talk a little bit now about ESG and sustainability. Obviously, we're very proud of the partnership we have with NASDAQ on ESG, and we're very proud of EEI's template. This is something that we began more than five years ago. We recognize the importance of ESG topics to our investors and other key stakeholders. And so we really, uh, as an industry, gathered together, working with our investors and focused on our investors to develop this template. And it's been very, very successful. I think that one of the reasons why the template works so well is it provides more or less a report card so that our member companies can report back to their key audiences of the progress they're making on environment, social, and governance issues on an annual basis. In May of 2021, EEI and AGA released version three of our template. And what this, the template has evolved so that initially it was primarily focused on environment issues, but it's definitely evolved into something much, much more than that. The latest version of the template has discussions about diversity, equity, inclusion, a more uniform way of addressing long-term climate goals, and also incorporating the NGSI that Emily mentioned, which is the Natural Gas Sustainability Initiative. I want to talk about NGSI just, uh, just for a moment. Recognizing the important role of gas in our industry, we felt that we needed to do something to ensure that we're using gas in a sustainable way as possible, and not just us as end users, but also throughout the value chain, production, transmission, and distribution of the gas. So we worked with AGA for more than three years, both mid and upstream gas producers, as well as the financial community, to develop this NGSI. And what it is, it's a methane intensity reporting protocol, and it's designed to provide greater consistency, transparency, and importantly, comparability, because that's something that was oftentimes missing in these discussions. The, again, the reporting protocol is designed to complement regulations, not replace them, and it's a meaningful tool, and we believe it really is increasing transparency in helping to develop and foster best practices across the gas value chain. So very, very important. To see the full presentation and the Q&A discussion that followed, visit eei.org or our YouTube channel, EEITV. There is also a link in the episode description. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.